The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. Hottie here. How you doing? I have an adult beverage in my hand right now. It would be a cerveza, a beer. You know, here on the Paceline, uh, we don't encourage the mass consumption of alcohol beverages. But today is National Drink Beer Day. So, while we don't encourage you to overindulge, we do encourage you to participate in all national days of importance. So, here's to you, Paceline listeners. Enjoy the show. It's the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels with Patrick, Hottie, and me, Fatty, and guys, I can't even not pretend. No, wait, I can pretend, but I'm not going to do a very good job of uh, pretending that I have a cold. So, how are you guys doing? (laughs) You're a little nasally there. (laughs) I feel like I'm drowning. Oh. In mucus? It sounds like it. (laughs) (laughs) But... It is show number 86, and the show must go on. It's the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer, and I'm not going to sound... I, I was I was kind of amping it up a little bit. I feel, I feel better than I had a couple of days ago, and I actually went on a ride today, and I got to say, taking a ride when you're sick is, as long as you're not too sick, a pretty nice thing to do. It gives me, at least, a little bit of a break from feeling so congested you know i feel like my lungs and my nasal passages open up and i'm outside how about you guys do you ride when you're sick nope really yeah never i mean i made the mistake years ago of riding before i was fully well um back when i was racing you know i was always in a race to get back on the bike and get training again uh, to be fit for racing and Hmm. there were just too many occasions where i got back on the bike too soon and ended up sicker than I was the first time around. And so now I don't touch a bike until I feel amazing. Um, although I will admit like once I feel good, even though I've still got that congestion going out on a ride is largely, shall we say an expulsive experience? <laughs> the bike I'm 51. I never feel amazing. The, the, the bike is in an expectorant. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Robitussin. Uh huh. Yeah. I'll go. You know, Fatty. I'll go on a ride. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm leaning Patrick's way on this. I used to want to jump back on the bike, feeling like, oh my god, my fitness is going away. I'm sick. What's happening? And I'd kind of go into this panic mode. But 
Hmm. Um, the more years you kind of spend riding, you know, there's another ride around the corner. And so I lean more towards resting. Now, that said, if I rest too much, I just get lazy now. And I'll just go, I'll ride tomorrow. Now I'll ride tomorrow. So at some <laughs> point, I do. Now I'm at a point where I do have to kind of force myself to take that first ride back, you know, that comeback ride. I do have to do that. Now, let's also say it depends on the illness, too. I mean, what have you had? Well, if I've just had a, a cold, yeah, if it's a head cold, above, you know, that old above the, the neck and above thing, it's usually safe to ride, safe to do what you do. If you've got something in your chest, probably a bad idea. You should probably let that thing clear out. My most recent illness found me in the bathtub, uh, hoping not to release everything in my stomach. Um, that Ooh, was boy. that was a bad time to ride. I did not ride that day, that following morning. So it also depends on the illness, whether or not I'll, I'll make yeah, an immediate yeah. comeback. For sure, severity plays a part in my decision on whether to ride. Like I, I skipped a cup, uh, I skipped a run with uh, my wife and skipped a ride the following day. But today, I, I felt well enough that I was like, yeah, you know, getting out for a little bit sounds good. And Right now, there is uh, just an astonishing array of colors uh, because of the maples have changed in the mountains, and it is just reds and yellows and still greens from the evergreens everywhere. And we've got some great new single track. There are uh, twin flow trails that have been completed recently, and a little bit of rain has made it so that they so that the lines are clean and packed. And man, I just couldn't. I just couldn't not ride. right i just had to get out there well then forget it i don't yeah. i don't care if you have pneumonia get out there that's that's too good to pass up i might have uh, ridden you... on a broken femur with that description <laughs> oh boy boy you guys seriously anyone everyone ought to come out and see some of the new stuff that has been created in corner canyon i know i've talked about it many times on this show but uh, the guys at Draper, Utah, just keep surprising and delighting those of us who have bikes. New single track all the time, I swear. We are up to, I think, like 75 miles of single track that is one mile from my house. And these two new flow trails, one's called Levitate, one's called Vertigo. Vertigo is sort of a blue square descent, and it's just very flowy, banked. You hardly even need to touch your brakes and you can just sort of you know, enjoy the feeling of being practically sideways on your bike with full confidence. And then levitate is very challenging for someone like me who is inexperienced with doing tabletops and things like that. And I'm still really learning a lot of new things about, you know, getting air and having so much fun doing it. It's uh, just, you know, it's not to be missed. Uh, wow. Kudos to the guys at uh, Corner Canyon. Uh, cool. I think I just did my pace line pick. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll come up with another one. But uh, <laughs> hey, let's do the very important question uh, for this episode of the pace line. And of course, the very important question is our one question poll where we conduct very important research into cycling culture. This week's question, which I posted on Twitter just moments ago, and so you can still go and answer it. Uh, just look me up on Fat Cyclist, at Fat Cyclist, or at Red Kite Prayer, or at The Pace Line, and you will see this one. On average, how many tries does it take you to clip your second foot in on uphill starts? Your options are A, first time every time, B, one or two tries, C, between two and five tries, and D, sometimes I just give up. 
And I put up this question because I, of course, uh, am not one of those first time every time guys. I don't know. How about you guys? Is an uphill an uphill restart on your bike something where you can just snap right into your into your pedals, or does it usually take a couple of tries? I'm pretty good. I more often than not, I get right in. Every now and then, I screw it up. If I screw it up, I'm usually surprised. Um, I would say I am a choice B one to two times on average now, Fatty. That would yeah. be on average. A lot of this depends on the terrain I'm in. Am I on dirt or am I on pavement? On dirt, obviously, things are a little mm-hmm. rougher. Things can be steeper, looser. So sometimes you may just get, you know, you may just get the midfoot on the pedal and just start pushing until you get rolling away and then you're pawing with your that, that foot that hasn't been clipped in <laughs> to try to get it in. So... A lot of it depends on that. I ride different pedal systems. Uh, I ride t- old, kind of oldish times on the road. I ride, I don't know how many different types of Crank Brothers I have, including one that's mm-hmm. uh, got flats on one side and clips in on the other. And plus I have different shoes. And they all kind of have you know, a different feel for them, I think, as far as getting your foot properly engaged. Um I would say this. I remember one particular set of uh, pedals I was reviewing for Patrick in RKP, and that was a set of Lux. Um, and I, I, it took me forever. I was like, it was taking me four and five times to get that second foot clipped in. I finally went, what is the secret of this thing? And I discovered is I had to actually look down at my foot. So look at the look to get clipped into the look. I mean, that's what eventually the formula <laughs> I came up with. And I, I found I went from, you know, pawing to get in there to, you know, the, the one to two tries was, was basically getting it done in the looks. Speed plays, I know Patrick's a big speed play fan and, and rides them all the time, and I used to too. Boy, you're, your average, if you want a high average in this area, get yourself a set of speed plays. You'll, you'll get in pretty much on the first try every time. I am a speed, uh, speed play guy on the road. I assume you're talking about road with those, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I started my mountain bike career with speed play frogs. I don't know if uh, anyone can remember. Yeah. I, I think they <laughs> yeah. still exist. Um, man, I wonder, how many, uh, I wonder how many pedal bodies I broke on those frogs. Really? I, oh, yeah. But, I mean, I think that might just be a Utah thing. We hit rocks a lot, right? Yeah. Lots of pedal strikes with those. But um, I'm, I, I am a one to two guy on average. And I do, in fact, begin the question with on average because – Every once in a while, and you know, I don't, I don't keep track. On, on the road, it happens a lot more often than on dirt, and especially technical dirt. When you do snap right in, like there was a magnet guiding your foot to the pedal, you know, and it just goes snap right in. That's an awesome feeling. Yeah. It is. I mean, it really, it's like wow. And the people, you notice the people who get those first every time. Um. They're good riders in general. I mean, it's not a skill that I've ever, like, spent time practicing here. I'm going to become better at clipping in. Although for mountain biking in particular, especially on technical climbs, uh, doing a faster, more confident restart, that's probably something that it would, you know, would be valuable to spend time learning is getting so that you can just do a first time every time snap right in. Patrick, I'm going to beat you to this tip because I know it's on the (laughs) tip of your tongue. Do a cyclocross race. Do a couple of them. You'll get better. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I would. Um, but <laughs> the, that learning curve, man, that is a painful learning curve. Um, 
That said, yeah, uh, and cross season is coming up. You know what? I, my plan for cyclocross, and we're all over the place, and I blame the Dayquil, is I I have not been very good about being the guy who gives back to cycling. I have not been what? a volunteer at many events. Oh, really? So, hmm. yeah, no. I, yeah, but I, you I do all these other things. I, I think that's okay. Oh, right, go ahead. Oh, Sorry, sure. I but, but no, I, I'm talking about local races, okay. right? There, There's, yes, I, I've done a lot of fundraising. Yeah, well, and bicycle like relief, that. you've got all this stuff you do. The, the ride, the 100 miles to nowhere, that's all those are all great causes. But I see sure, what you're sure. saying. Go ahead. You're in the but, clear. <laughs> but <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that, guys. But I'm talking about the local race scene, right? I, I have done a lot of local races. I have not given back to a lot of local races. And I aim to correct that in the cyclocross season this year. I aim to, you know, volunteer and be a guy who, you know, does whatever needs doing. Just, you know, show up and be a body that can help uh, for cyclocross. Because I don't, I'm a very, very inflexible person. And the idea of uh, the remount for cyclocross, frankly, terrifies me. (laughs) Um, It takes me about five to ten seconds to do, to get you know throw a leg over a bike i'm that inflexible so i i'm going to admire the guys who can do that and i'm going to help out and i'm going to kill two birds with one stone i'm going to be part of the cyclocross scene without doing any cyclocross races there you go someone's i I mean well um uh yay <laughs> I want you to be happy for me. Well, I mean, I'm I'm the fact that you're going to volunteer is just absolutely dynamite, but given the the rich texture that you weave when you write a race report, I've been waiting for your first cyclocross race report for I don't know, let's go with 11 years. <laughs> That's The world fair... needs that. The, it, Hearing about my first cyclocross race actually probably would be an interesting story. I I, I would be interested to see how I do. I, um, my only real question is how many installments it would take for you to cover just the first lap. <laughs> the first remount. Um, depends on whether that results in a trip to the emergency room, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time, I'm sure. Uh, but, wow, we, we really have gone far afield. I, I want to get to this interview and the upcoming Paceline tandem uh, that I'm working on right now. Uh, I'm still in the process of editing it. It is not finished. But by the time people hear this, it'll be a couple of days away. Um, it's going to come out. It'll be in your Paceline feed in the next couple of days. And it is a story that I am super excited about just because it is a true feel-good story in cycling. A uh, short version is there is a great kid who races high school, uh, high school mountain bike. His name's Decker. He was doing a, um, he was actually making a plaque for his coaches to show appreciation for him. And an accident while he was doing, doing this really nice thing uh caused a serious change in his life um he was electrocuted while doing it passed out shock you know and laid across bare wires uh and actually it almost killed him he was literally not breathing for minutes 
um, burned off most of his right hand, oh. and he is back. He is riding again. I took a chance to talk to him and to Wayne Stetna, who is a guy at Shimano, who is kind of the guy uh, who is helping adaptive athletes take advantage of DI2 to be able to shift in ways that they wouldn't be able to. Uh, so it's an exciting, it's a, it's a really cool, uh, feel good story. And I want to, he- I want you guys to hear, uh, a little bit from my conversation with Decker after he and I went on a ride in St. George, Utah, uh, just a couple of months ago. So we just finished doing a ride finishing in the dark today, Decker. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you've been doing mountain biking, uh, with the high school for what your fourth year now you're a senior in high school. Yep. And you've been riding with the Nike team since your freshman year? Is that right? Yes. And then you had a pretty serious accident. Yes. Tell me what happened. So I was doing project and woodworking, electrocuting wood. I don't even know what that means, electrocuting it, wood. It, so what it does, it makes a tree design in the wood and... We were using jumper cables with surge protector and a microwave transformer uh-huh. that amps up uh, 2,000 volts of electricity. And it went through my right hand, in my left, back out my right. How'd that happen? Uh, the surge protector failed. Mm-hmm. Right when I got the cables, it fell and got me. Then I fell on. It knocked me out. Fell onto him. So how much? How many volts? Two thousand. Yes. Volts went in your through my right hand. Through your right hand. Through my chest uh, into my left. Back out my right. Do you remember this at all? No. Okay. I don't. So I've seen the plaque that you've made for your coaches and you were, and this was just, this was something that you were doing as, you know, something nice to do for, for other Nike coaches or Uh, uh, for the monkeys coaches. Okay. Because the name of your team is the flying monkeys, right? Okay. So you're making, you're making a plaque for all the coaches, all the coaches and 2000 volts goes through, through my body. Through your body. Then... Knocks you out. Then I fell onto the cables. One was on my forearm. One was on my chest. And, ca- and kept on shocking. So it's com- it's continuing to shock. electrocute you yes. as you are now unconscious and laying on it. Yeah. How long did that go on? Uh, they say two minutes. Holy cow. Until uh, my teacher and somebody found me laying on the ground. And they turned, they unplugged it, flipped me over, and about almost a minute, I started breathing again. I was going to ask. I mean, some with that amount of electricity going through you for that amount of time, yeah. I mean, it's astonishing that you're alive. But yeah. and it sounds like you weren't breathing. Yeah, I or, I wasn't until I think about they say about a minute. Then I. Came back. I was seduced coma. In and you were in an induced coma. Yes. Okay. For how long? I think for two days. Wow. And what are they doing while you're in that induced coma? Just letting uh, you heal, or what? Uh, just uh, 
just taking care of the what I had. Mm-hmm. And then they're slowly taking me taking me off the medication. Then after while they're doing that, I got combative, and I don't remember that either. I heard, uh, they told me I was yelling for my teacher, uh-huh. and remembering what happened, and then they at one point they had to hold me down. For some odd reason. How much memory do you have of that time? Any uh, at all? Not much. Okay. Well, not much at all. That may be a good thing. How long were you in the hospital? Five weeks. I haven't taken a close look at your hand, but it looks like one of your hands, it looks like it's you have the, your, my, so for your right hand, your. My index is completely gone mm-hmm. because of the shock. Right. And to my tips on my ring. And my pinky took it down to a knuckle on both of them, the first mm-hmm. knuckle. And then on my thumb, where this between the first and second knuckle, it took it down all the way to the bone and just completely burned the lig- lig- ligaments in my thumb so I can't move the top at all. Yeah. yeah. And they thought they're going to take my index and my thumb at the same time. But they, all they did was took my index and left my thumb. So I have something to uh, go off of and grab uh, grab different things mm-hmm. instead of having nothing there. And Were you right-handed or left-handed? Left. Really? Yes. Oh, well, so the the hand that is still fully intact was the hand was you led with in the first place. Well, that's... I guess I, I don't want to say well that's lucky, but because this whole thing doesn't smell like luck, but mm-hmm. um, but that it, it is nice that you do uh, the hand that you use most is the you hand still that is still have full fingers. You have full function there. Do you have do you have full function on your left hand or is yeah. that okay? Yeah, uh, full. And there's only three scars I have on my left hand. Yeah. How and how about your forearms where you were laying across that cable? Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty it's, scarred. Yeah. But do, uh, do you have good use of that arm, or uh, do you yeah. lose any muscle there? It's it's it it only burnt the skin, mm-hmm. and all it's took the the skin and the fat all the way down to the muscle. Right. So the muscle itself is isn't damaged at all. Okay. It's just the skin. Let's talk a little bit about what happened after, because that's, I mean, lots of people get injured, but I think the way you came back from your injury is what's really remarkable. You were seriously into mountain biking before this accident. And I know that um, between your coach or your coaches, you know, they, they started working on a plan while you were still in the hospital. (laughs) <laughs> they, I, I know that Envy uh, 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 donated a nice set of uh, M5050 wheels. Yeah. And you have a nice specialized uh, Epic hardtail frame. And uh, Shimano uh, set you up with uh, XT brakes and, and, and DI2 shifting for your 1x11 setup. 
So d- uh, describe how all of that works together on, on the bike itself. It, it, to me, it works like a dream. <laughs> it, it Honestly, it's really rides fantastic with all of it on the bike. And with the gears, it... I'm, I was actually really amazed how quiet it is on, uh-huh. on the trail. I think a lot of people who are listening, you know, have bad days on the bike, but I don't think there are many people who have had, who've gone through as much as you have to stay on the bike. Yeah. Um, what would be, what would be your advice to people who, have been injured or find themselves having a rough time, uh, you know, due to an injury? Uh, it, it all depends on your mindset, where you're at. And, uh, you, if you're like really injured that to a point you think you can't do things you can that you're used to doing, Mm -hmm. but you still can just in different just with like different different uh things. Yeah. And with biking, I keep telling myself I have to relearn how to go around corners and go down stuff with my right hand. Yeah. And if I go over handlebars, I stop, regroup, look what I I I messed up on and probably the next day or do that same thing again, but try not to go over the handlebars or <laughs> get a bent rim or a flat tire. Yesterday, I, I went over my handlebar. My the dirt caught my front tire, caused me to uh, go on my side and got my elbow and my shoulder all scraped up. <laughs> but I still got back on and kept riding. Yeah, that seems to be sort of the theme to your. <laughs> To your whole life is you get back up and keep, you know, keep riding. Yeah. And I think that's actually really, I mean, that's incredible guidance to anyone Mm -hmm. that you don't see, you don't see an injury or a crash or anything as anything more than a new lesson and a way ends like an objective to figure out. I mean, yeah. So, okay. So you're missing fingers on your hand. Okay. So let's figure out. How to ride without them. Figure out Mm -hmm. what I need to do differently. You have an endo. You figure out what What, happened. Yeah, and and what I did. And figure out what you did. That's. I mean, and really, it's just breaking everything down into little things to to the basic, then build back up. So that's Decker, and he is a true pragmatist. um, Someone who uh, sees the loss of his fingers as uh, as something to just figure out a new way to get on his bike and keep riding. That's just the first part of the interview. Uh, he and I talk a little bit more about it. Um, guys, one thing that I is not in this excerpt that I think is worth talking about is the way he would answer questions was a lot different than what I normally would expect someone to answer. When I asked him, how did the bike, how does the bike, you know, how, how, how does the bike work? I expected him to talk about how he has uh, both the front and rear brake levers. You know, he has to operate them with his uh, left hand index and middle finger. And so they're right by each other, basically stacked on top of each other. And one of the levers has to be cut down. 
and that the shifter is uh he has a essentially a a button hack that um is zip tied to the top of his brake levers and then he's got his dropper post toggle there i mean he you've never seen such an overloaded left cockpit <laughs> um it's it's extraordinary and i rode with him and he was riding great he was cleaning all kinds of the technical uh single track uh stuff that is the hallmark of saint george uh riding you know this the slick sandstone um you know rocks rock drops and climbs and you know, whoop de doos that are, you know, that keep you on your toes, whether you have both hands or the use of one hand and, you know, that you're controlling everything with. And the other one, he's, he's got a thumb that doesn't really do anything and a couple of fingers on his right hand. And that's what he's got to work with. And he's riding great. Uh, part of that youth, part of that, uh, just a really practical determination. Uh, something happens. Um, he goes, evaluates it, gets back up. And gets writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, watching this 18-year-old kid, uh, incredibly inspiring. And he's not setting out to be inspiring at all. I don't think he sees himself as inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. the right hand is just, just holding on, right? That's, that's just handlebar control there. And then the left hand handles everything else, all the controls. Everything else. Wow. Yep. Yeah, the, the dropper toggle, both the brakes, um, and and the shifting. Hmm. And he does it all. Um, does he? Yeah. And, and how is his uh, mobility in and out of the saddle? Does he look good there? Is everything working okay there? He's doing great with it. Um, I the we did a a fairly short ride together um, on a, a popular pa- trail out uh, in St. George called Bear Claw Poppy, mm-hmm. and it is mostly a fairly swoopy, fast, uh, baked desert uh, single track ride. Uh, however, the there was a little bit of out and back on the way where he was having to go up uh, little rock ledges and his coaches were being really patient with him and having him try different strategies to do this. And so he's learning, but he's figuring stuff out and he's got the patience and determination. And like I say, this sort of this can do pragmatism. Uh, that he is just he he fails he evaluates tries again and he finds a yeah. solution. Wow, wow, that's really yeah. something. Yeah, really sounds like a stuff. pretty inspiring story. Uh, an inspiring story, and what makes it great is I mean he's such he is the ultimate normal kid, right? You know, I I I, I truly don't think he sees himself as someone to look up to. He's just like I'm just a guy who likes to ride my bike. And he has, uh, you know, and he just loves to get out there. One of the things that you'll definitely want to listen to in this is him talking about the circumstances under which he does ride. Uh, I'm not, I I feel like I'm giving away too much, but let me just say that in the summer, St. George gets up into the 110 plus degree temperatures and they cancel practice when that happens. But some kids who are really determined might go out and ride anyway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a kid who literally you cannot stop. Uh, he is, yeah, he is a force. So, uh, a great story about that. And then there will be the second part with Wayne Stetna, who uh, has a real passion for finding ways to let people who 
have this, you know, drive to get on their bikes, but need to adapt somehow to make it possible for them to do that. So some some good stuff. Uh, look forward to the, uh, yeah, I, I think people are going to really enjoy uh, that episode of the Baseline Tandem. Cool. So let's let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, wahoo. Just simply clip into your pedals and clip out of them. And just practice doing that over and over again before you try to balance yourself on your bike. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash Paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. And the pace line is back. Hottie, Patrick, and me, Fatty. Patrick, I understand that you recently had an interview with the chief designer for Wahoo. Yeah. You know, one of the great things about Interbike is that I get the chance to see and meet uh, and talk with people who I might not otherwise cross paths with. You know, were Wahoo to hold a product intro, you know, it would be maybe one or two people from the company their PR agency, and then a bunch of other journalists. And a guy like Chip Hawkins, who's their chief designer, you know, chief brainiac, I wouldn't necessarily get a chance to interact with him. So I got a chance to sit down with him at the show and ask him kind of what makes him tick and what makes Wahoo so different. So here's Chip. So Chip, I'm fascinated by Wahoo. You know, I like your products. Everything I've used, I've really enjoyed. Uh, I'm devoted to the element. I mean... I, I, I threw away my Garmin, um, you know, well, I was tired of sending it back to Kansas. <laughs> um, but the thing that I find so curious is I've got a Wahoo scale. I've got a kicker. I've got an element. And when I look at the broad ecosystem, the, the complete array of products you have, it's not so intuitive. You know, you've done a lot of stuff for cycling, but to a certain degree, you're thinking further outside of that box, just stuff for people's fitness and health. Where does the innovation, what drives the innovation? What what leads the creative energy to the new products you introduce? I mean, it's singularly stuff that I want for myself. That's where it all has come. That's where, it's, where the company started, was me trying to get data in my iPhone. That's the only reason Wahoo exists. I, I was frustrated that I couldn't do it, and so I made the little iPhone key. 
So uh, yeah, that's been, that's really been uh, like every, the kicker was, I hated the Compu Trainer. Like it was the worst thing I ever owned and that's why I built a kicker. That scales the same thing. Like at the time when we launched it, there was no way to get your weight into a phone or anything. You could, you know, unless you had a pencil and paper. So I, holes in the market is what I've tried to fill. Um, you know, the computer is a little bit different for me. Um, I tried for years to get people to use their phones on their handlebars and it's just not cool enough. And looking at that over, over time, you know, I really wanted to be in that space. Yeah, I wanted something there and I saw an opportunity to do it better. And uh -huh. so that, that was probably the first thing that wasn't just absolutely natural. I really need a bike computer. But, uh, but it made sense for us. So, and we've grown a lot, and so we now are doing things more, more cohesively. You know, we have a marketing department that's driving versus just Chip saying, I'm gonna make this thing. Um, so that's really kind of the history of where, if you step back, you can see some pretty crazy divergences. And, uh, and now they, they, they have, I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff that might be out there if they didn't say, no, Chip, you can't make that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd be really curious to see what else was out there. Now, okay, so let's talk about your background then. You know, what is your training? Where have you been before this? So I am a uh, mechanic, I have a master's in mechanical engineering from Rice and a master's in business with an entrepreneurship focus. Um, really an operations and fix-it guy. So I would describe myself as a jack of all trades, master of none, but very much, you know, my nickname was MacGyver in high school. So I've been tearing, <laughs> tearing things it. apart, putting them back together my whole life. And um, so this is just, just a blast for me, getting to build products for people is, you know, it's, it's like a dream come true. Uh, but yeah, I, I, very good at looking at a problem and being a problem solver. Every time I get an email from the guys at True Communications who do your PR, you know, I'll see something about, you know, there'll be some name and Wahoo in the subject line. And it's one of those things, I, I can never wait to open that email. I'm always <laughs> excited to see what's in there. Yeah, so I really dig, you know, all the innovation and creativity. Uh, you've certainly got my curiosity on an ongoing basis. Yeah, uh, so, Anything you, you want to chart in terms of general arc? I mean, I, of course, you can't announce any new products, but is there, a, is there a compass point we should be looking toward in the future? We definitely will continue to surprise. We got a couple more surprises and a couple kind of more obvious things, but um, we've got yeah, lots in the works. So next year should be a lot of fun. Okay, so I'll wait 365 days. <laughs> It'll be painful, but I'll wait. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, so that was Chip Hawkins. Uh, pretty delightful conversation. We had a few minutes to, to speak before the uh, interview actually got started. And, uh, you know, he's the sort of guy that, uh, you know, I would just, I would kill to get to work with somebody like that on a daily basis uh, to see what kind of creativity is coming out of their computer. Uh, neat guy. And yeah, uh, I got a few hints about stuff that's coming and uh, it's going to be something to watch. Hmm. Well, you can tell us. <laughs> I wish I could. Oh, come on, man. Okay. Wait, Not I think fair. someone's knocking at my door. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, good stuff. And uh, I also have been writing with an element uh, and have a kicker that I have set up. Um, and I'm going to agree that the, the kicker in particular uh, was such an improvement over having to lug the bike out and set it up on the CompuTrainer and, you know, go to someone else's session on some other time, you know, someone else's time frame. So, yeah, um, there are a lot of businesses that are uh, sort of helping us fill in the cracks of time that we didn't even realize we have. Uh, Let's move on to the segment called News, uh, which is really obscure stuff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Delaware is about to pass the Idaho stop. Tell us uh, a little bit more about that, Patrick. I'm I'm really stoked about this. You know, sometime back there was a debate that uh, I held with Charles Pelkey in the Explainer column, where we went back and forth about you know why the Idaho stop, uh, which is cyclists can treat a stop sign as a yield sign if there's no traffic present. It makes a lot of sense to me. Conservation of energy, um, and also you know just getting away from uh, uh, intersections more quickly. You know, one of the one of the truisms that so many cyclists live with is that, you know, if you're in an intersection, that's where you're most vulnerable. And so getting out of an intersection quickly is to our benefit, generally speaking. Charles was not particularly supportive of it. I've remained supportive of the idea. And so it's neat to see that, you know, there was debate going on in Delaware. You know, this bill got introduced and it was a real question about whether or not um, it would get uh, it would get signed into law, and it has been announced that uh, the the governor will uh, will sign it into law. Um, well, it'll be signed into law by the time everyone hears this. Awesome. Now, Hottie, yeah, I understand that you recently fell for some clickbait. Yeah, well, guys, I pride myself in filtering quickly through my emails. And not falling for flashy, splashy subject lines. But this one I couldn't resist. Chris Froome writing naked. I had to click. I opened the email, clicked through. Someone got a lot of credit for this. Some major magazine did, I'm sure. And there he was. Chris Froome in the buff. No yellow jersey, no Rafa shorts, no CDs. Just skin. Turns out this is Froome's Instagram account. Uh, shows him on his, a ruby red Pinarello wearing nothing but a big smile. This photo actually is part of a series from a photographer, Mark Asplund. It's called My Sporting Body. We've kind of seen this work before where athletes will bear it all to show off what they're really made of. Um, Froome told the Times, upon reflecting at the photo, I can recognize the proportions are ridiculous. Skinny upper body, massive thighs. I do feel a bit ridiculous looking in the mirror. That's what it takes, though, but I am looking forward to getting in the gym when I retire and doing some bicep curls, getting some shoulders to balance things out a little bit. Um, For my own personal side of things, you know, I thought it was a great photo. I liked it. I mean, I thought he looked great. He was smiling. There were still some, like, old Pink, there was some old, some new pink skin on his hip area where obviously he had crashed, something that only a cyclist would really identify with. So the the wounds of war were there. But I, I thought he looked, guys, I thought he looked better naked than fully clothed and, and climbing his bicycle at Mount Bontu. 
I enjoyed the shot. So hats off to Froomey, and I fell for some clickbait, but what the heck? I thought he looked great. Uh, I am looking at it right now, and I'm I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, what it really stands out, and this is, by the way, something that is not not safe for work. It it is composed in such a way that there are no naughty bits right. showing. Um, you can see the most enormous rib cage that you have ever seen. It, it was what really stands out. It's like, oh, he really is a human lung, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extraordinary. And and uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. Great shot. Uh, clearly a man who is incredibly strong. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I, I've seen stuff like this before. And, uh, yeah, Froome is uh, clearly a strong-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about naked Froome anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, let's not. Okay. Unless you would, unless you would like to weigh in on this one, Patrick. No, I just, uh, you know, You're I see let that. It go? No, I see that injury on the hip, and that's all I can focus on. Oh. Yeah, he. Uh, I have a a very similar uh, scar uh, shaped scar on my left hip, and I bet most of us do. It's uh, it's one of the most likely contact points for anyone who's gone down on their side, on uh, uh, you know coming around a corner on a road bike. Let's go on to what is coming up soon in RKP, Patrick. What should our listeners be sure to check out? Well, I've been backing my way into a fresh series of the more contemplative pieces for which RKP is known. Uh, So there are three up right now, and I suspect there are going to be some more coming. Uh, One is called Trust. Uh, Another is called Making Peace. And the other uh, in this series is called The Bright Spot. And so they've been resonating with the readers. And, you know, if we're going to call attention to something, that's what I'd point people to. I would agree. Um, I I love your you know, I love all the work that you really pour your not just your mind but your heart into, and when you really think about stuff, uh, those are my favorite pieces of yours. So, uh, in, I'm enjoying those as they as they come out. Uh, I also want to point out something that is coming out on Red Kite Prayer, or more specifically, something that is coming out on the Pace Line. Uh, Phil Guyman will be joining us as a special guest host on next week's red or next week's pace line and we understand he has a slightly different take on someone we've been praising a lot on this show jonathan vodders we'll be talking with him for the entire hour um about among other things his upcoming book draft animals so be sure to check your feed uh, as it comes out i believe we're going to release that episode on october 10th or 11th so watch out for that and I believe that takes us to Paceline Picks, mm. where we get to talk about some odd thing sometimes, almost always, but not quite always bike-related. <laughs> You're the one who goes furthest to feel... Well, no, I can't say no, that. No. Hottie, no, no, no. Hottie's written about yeah, please, baseball. Please, please, so, please. Yeah. Be careful. Remember who's on the show now. <laughs> That's right. You guys are going to be disappointed with how, uh, how bike-centric my pick is this time. And I'm going to go first because of that. And my pick is the Silka EOLO 3 CO2 regulator, a very bike-centric paceline pick. I have had one of those for uh, a couple of months and just decided very recently that it is my favorite saddlebag-located regulator. 
and I like it so much better than the ones that I keep in all of the other saddlebags, both in my for my bikes because I have a different saddlebag permanently attached to each bike. All of my bikes and all of my wife's bikes. I just ordered five more Silka Elo three regulators. Uh, they are just by far and away the best, most bulletproof, uh, tiniest nicest looking uh co2 adapters that i've ever seen and they just work perfect they work great uh every single time i've never uh lost a cartridges or a portion of a cartridge's worth of co2 using them um if you use co2 and uh you've ever been frustrated by it not working right this is an expensive one but it is worth it the very first time that you use it so that's my paceline pick Mm -hmm. Patrick, you got to go next. Well, I'm sticking with cycling things because this is a cycling podcast. Um, and I'm going to give my nod to this weekend's event that I'm going to up in the Sierra, Grinduro, the Giro-sponsored drop bar enduro. Um, it's four sections. It's roughly 60 miles. There's a climbing section. There's a rather gentle sort of-ish descent section there's a mostly flat paved time trial portion uh and then there's a final single track descent uh capping off the day and i did this two years ago it in its first year had crazy fun i also had crazy difficulty because uh i took a pre-ride of the single track descent the day before and little did i know i burned out the last of the brake pads on my disc brakes and so in the event, uh, I became progressively more and more frightened because of my lack of control on the descent. And uh, so I ended up actually going faster out of the event <laughs> than in the event. Um, but this year I will have hydraulic disc brakes and I am very excited to take this thing on. And I'll also be camping out with a bunch of friends from the Annadale Mountain Bike Group. I can't wait to hang out with all of them. Um I am going to assure our listeners that no debauchery at all will occur. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. Uh, but it does seem like a fantastic event. Would love to participate sometime. Hottie, mm-hmm. you are up. Well, I'm going to start off by talking about bikes. Then I'm not. Then I'm just going to bring it all together. That's how it works. Uh, you know, it's my belief that bike companies need to do a better job naming their bikes. I mean, think of some of the model names we have. Tarmac, TCR, Team Machine, Spark, CAD 12, Boring, Lacks Imagination. I like what Raleigh did with their adventure bikes. The Roker, Willard, and Tamland. Those three bikes are named for weathermen. Al Roker, Willard Scott, and best of all, Brick Tamland, the weatherman in the classic local news flick, Anchorman. So if I ever start a bike company... I got to have a bike named Giddings. You see, Pete Giddings was my first memory of a TV weatherman. He was on my local ABC station in the Bay Area. Giddings spent 29 years on the air forecasting the weather. Fog close to the bay, clear inland, he would tell us. And you believed him because 
there was an AMS, or American Meteorological Society, banner in the corner of his screen. In the 70s, when I first started paying attention to the weather, Giddings would stand in front of what was essentially a chalkboard, whip out his weatherman's marker, and draw circles and arrows to point out the weather highlights in his forecast. By the time he was done, you couldn't tell by looking if it was going to be 100 in Napa or snow in San Francisco. So Pete would just tell you, it's going to be another beautiful day in the Bay Area. Giddings would drive the ski resorts up the wall when he would call for heavy snow leading into a weekend and warn people not to make the drive to Tahoe. Those resorts would just come unglued. But he was often right, and considering how wrong weather people were back then, that's saying a lot. So my gravel bike, should I ever develop one, would be a Giddings. But that is not my paceline pick. Uh, we did a show recently about riding in the heat, and we talked about how we deal with the heat, or how to avoid it. I neglected to bring up one very important tool I use. It's the same thing Giddings, Rokard, Willard, and maybe Tamlin would consult to come up with their forecast, and that's the National Weather Service. The Weather Service's website is one of my favorite places on the interwebs. I go there so often, I've even memorized the URL. It's www.wrh.com. .noaa.gov forward slash LOX. LOX is for Los Angeles. I love reading and looking at all they have. My go-tos are the forecast weather tables and the forecast discussion. The tables are great because they allow you to pick a spot on a map and the site will generate an hour-by-hour forecast for that location. Of course, this is great for planning bike rides, where to go, what to wear. With a click, I can tell if I'll need just arm warmers, warmers, that is, or maybe leg coverage, a vest, a beanie, or in the summer, how early I need to get up to beat the heat. Rain in the forecast, figure out when it is and where it's supposed to hit hour by hour. The forecast discussion is for the real weather nerd. This is the story behind the weather story. Want to know why the forecast calls for a chance of showers? You got to read the forecast discussion. Now, a word of warning, these are written by scientists, so sometimes uh, they can get a little technical. Here's a sample. There's some disagreement in the models after Saturday with the GFS weakening the upper high in response to a new trough moving into the northern Rockies while the ECMWF maintains the ridge through early next week. But at the very least, we should see gradients trending onshore as surface high pressure across the Great Basin weakens. See, kind of nerdy stuff, but I love it. There's radar on the site, satellite, current conditions. They even have their own weather radio station. The forecast for the Los Angeles County Coast, including downtown Los Angeles. Tuesday, mostly cloudy in the morning, then partly cloudy. Highs in the upper 60s to mid-70s. West winds around 15 miles an hour in the evening. I know, riveting stuff. But hey, it's the government. Sure, there are other websites like Weather Underground, Weather.com. There's even one called uh, TheEffingWeather.com. But I'll stick with the National Weather Service. Their mission is to protect lives and property and to avoid a headwind. The National Weather Service is my pace line pick. Dude, you are such a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, you really know how to party. Remind me not to invite you to Granduro. Uh, I love their site, man. It's, it's part of my. It's part of getting ready for a bike ride for me. Is I check the National Weather Service and I want to know when the sun's going to come up, how warm it's going to be at eight, ten. You live in the South Bay. I know, but I don't know. I'm still obsessed by it. You just should see me at Leadville. When I get to Leadville, I'm just like, wow, look at all the clouds moving around and winds are going to. That I can crazy. understand, but the South Bay. 
You know? It makes a difference. Uh, I see people go out. You, you know how it could be, Patrick. Sometimes people will ride out on their group rides and they're shivering at six in the morning because they don't get it. They don't understand it when they, they look at the day's high, right? And they go, well, it's going to be 80 today. Well, but they fail stupid. to look at the 6 a.m. morning temperature. <laughs> Or that it's going to be foggy and wet along the coast where we plan to ride the whole day. And then they shiver and they're uncomfortable. And I have my arm warmers on. All you have to do is, if it's not July or August, you put on arm warmers. And if it's between the end of October and the middle of April, you add a vest. What do you do when the Santa Ana's more (laughs) More weather talk in a future episode of the baseline. (laughs) 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 Because this is a wrap. This is... This is the end of this episode of The Paceline. A plea to our listeners. If you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, please do, just to let us know you are out there. And if you already have, thanks so much. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty, and this is The Paceline. Tuesday night, partly cloudy early, then low clouds and fog. Lows in the mid-50s to lower 60s.